Before we dive into this episode, I have an exciting offer for you. You know that my passion is simplifying formulation for all hairstylists. Right now, my best-selling masterclass, Hair Color Formulation Simplified, is on sale for only $47. To get yours now, simply go to my website, www.expertcolorsolutions.com forward slash simple. Hello, hey, and welcome to Ask the Color Expert. My name is Elaine Travis. I am a career hair colorist, independent educator, and author of the book, A Colorful Journey. I'm here every week sharing tips, tricks, and stories that are all things hair color. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. This podcast is brought to you by Vish a complete color management system designed by colorists for colorists, helping salons to eliminate waste, ensure consistent color and pricing, track inventory, and maximize profit. To learn more about VISH, simply text in all capitals, get VISH with no space, G-E-T-V-I-S-H, to the number 44222 for more information. Hello and welcome back. I get a lot of questions about the term that we often refer to in the hair color business is hot roots. Why am I getting hot roots? What am I doing wrong? Why is it so much brighter and warmer at the root than it is on the rest of the hair? And this is not a one-size-fits-all answer. So I'm going to do my best to not um, make this a longer episode than it needs to be, but it is an important one and one that needs to be addressed. So for in my opinion, hot roots, uh, the term is misused a lot. I think sometimes... What appears to be a lighter, brighter regrowth area is improper formulation, number one. Um, The only time I've ever had it happen to me, honestly, in my 33-year career is on a redhead. And it was a lesson that I learned quickly by having it happen once. Nobody ever told me about treating gray hair differently when it came to redheads, and of course, you know, when a client picked out a really bright, vibrant red, I was in my 20s when this happened. So I had no experience with what it's like to have gray hair or understand really how gray hair is so different than pigmented hair. So I formulated exactly the way that I would formulate for brown hair and put it on the gray hair. And you can imagine the result. It was a very... um artificial color not normally seen in nature or in hair. It was not an attractive, beautiful shade. And not only that, it left, you know, the gray behind. It didn't really do to the gray what I was looking for. And it was also a very unpleasant result. So that lesson, you know, they say in life, mistakes are a gift. And I really agree when it comes to being a hair colorist. I think when you play it safe and you always phone a friend, and you always ask the colorist next to you for their opinion, and you don't make your own decisions, and you don't have a firm foundation in hair color, it can be pretty scary, and you can tend to play it way too safe. 
So you get into this rut of using, you know, every redhead. You may have a great formula that worked on Sally once who had gray hair as well as level five. And you used the combination of two colors and you, you know, did the Hail Mary, said your prayers, put it on her hair, and it turned out fabulous. So now as a result, every redhead that sits in your chair gets that same wonderful combo that you think was a magical combo and it's not always going to work. So something that I wanted to point out when speaking on this topic is I think something that's missing with most colorists, especially newer colorists in the industry, is not taking into consideration the texture and density of the hair. So a client with super fine, limp, lifeless hair may actually have really resistant, wiry um, gray that behaves differently. And you would think that the fine hair would take the color really well and suck it in and absorb it really quickly. But some fine hair has this strange, kinky texture that can be the most resistant and surprise us. So in a red-haired situation, the same can go as far as fine hair, where the fine hair can lift much quicker and easier, therefore exposing more of the natural contributing pigment that comes out naturally in hair due to the way that we're made up and the amount of pheomelanin or eumelanin that is present in the hair. So at the risk of getting too technical, you really have to understand that the bottom line is and it's what I always teach. And in many of these podcast episodes, you're going to hear me say it over and over again. Hair color does not behave like a marker on a piece of paper. It does not behave like a bucket of paint that we buy at the paint store to put on our wall. Hair color is a chemical. The chemical reacts with what is present in the hair when there's lifting involved the natural pigments that are present in hair that make hair what it is are lifted, creating this unwanted residual warmth. So why am I telling you all this? Most of my red formulas, unless there is a great deal of gray present in the hair, most of my redhead formulas don't have red in them at all. So right now you may be like, what is this lady talking about? You know, hopefully you're on the treadmill listening to me and you're getting your exercise in and you're like, wait, what? I need to, I need to stop and rewind that. And I hope that you do because it's something that you really need to understand. You know, years ago, um, there was a discovery that one of the ingredients in red hair dye was causing cancer. So all of the companies immediately removed whatever this carcinogenic ingredient was, which is wonderful for the health of us hairstylists as well as the client, but it also took away the wow factor and the impact that some of the reds can have. So if you've been coloring your hair long enough, you'll agree that an artificial red sometimes is the hardest shade to keep in the hair. And then in in an opposite way, warmth and orange and unwanted blonde old McDonald tones when you're blonding is the hardest thing to keep out of the hair. So red, when you want it to stay, it's really hard to keep it in there artificially. And when you're lifting and the natural red comes to the surface, it's almost impossible to, you know, calm it down, cool it down and make it go away. So that is why 
on my redheads, I don't have the issue of hot reds, hot roots anymore because I actually harness the natural warmth that comes out automatically in that guest's hair. And I use that as my beautiful red. So then I just have to think, does the client want a reddish brown? Does she want a copper red? Does she want a violet red? Another fun fact that my friend just reminded me of, we just did an interview for my uh, membership for colorists, Hair Color Secrets Insiders, and we just had a great interview. And she reminded me of something that's really interesting and can be kind of scary behind the chair. The cooler red shades, when they're developing on the hair, will process really warm. They'll process more orangey and you'll panic and think, oh my gosh, did I grab an orangey based red when I meant to grab a cool red? And then vice versa. The um, orangey reds look cool. The cool reds process orangey. So have you ever picked up, you know, a bottle of say Redken Shades EQ and you're putting it on the hair and your heart all of a sudden stops, you know that you were applying a neutral, but you look at the liquid coming out and it looks almost like watered down ketchup and you're panicking saying, oh my gosh, did I pick an orange color by accident? And you dig through the bin and you look at the color and you make sure that it's the neutral. So sometimes color can process looking completely different than the end result. So it's important to really understand your formulation, to understand the why of what you're doing, to avoid that hot root, to be able to get that proper gray coverage. And something that I was taught a long time ago that most people do not know is in creating an impactful red, especially a copper red, it's important to formulate for your gray coverage with a gold shade versus a neutral. Let me say that again. We were all taught that to cover gray, we needed at least the percentage of our formula to be a neutral in order to cover gray, even if it was a warm result we were looking for. What I have found to be an awesome way of mixing color is to use the G gold in a series in order to get my gray coverage when I want a really golden, warm, copper result. So if I'm going for a violety, um, more cool red, I still will use a neutral with my red formula. But if I'm wanting a copper red gold, uh, more Nicole Kidman when she has her red shade, more, um, oh, what is that other actress's name? I can't even use her as an example because she changes her red from copper to violet. But people that want that coppery shade, try switching up your neutral for gold and you will really love the sparkle and shine in your reds. So another misconception that people can call hot roots is when you take a new client and you didn't realize that the hair color line that was used on them previous to your visit was a more opaque coverage and your line may be translucent. So when you put your color on, even though you formulate it and you thought it was on level and it looked like a perfect match, sometimes it can look like a hot root or a banding because one formula was opaque and one was translucent. And I'm giving you that as, you know, just throwing it out there. If that's confusing to you, I will be doing other podcasts and other lessons on the difference between opaque and translucent. But just understanding that there's more to what appears to be a hot, warm, 
regrowth area than just the heat of the scalp that people tend to blame it on. It's more improper timing, improper mixing. Sometimes uh, people don't use a scale and they're eyeballing it, so they're not getting an exact developer to color ratio, and that can cause a strange either see-through or translucent root or uh, all-out hot roots. It can be timing. Last time you left it on 35 minutes, this time you tried to cheat it because you had to get her to her haircut quicker and you did 25 minutes. So there's always other things at play. So really understanding hair color and formulation and the chemistry behind what you're doing and not just saying the Hail Mary and hoping for the best is really the best way to be a professional colorist striving for a six-figure income behind the chair. So I hope that this episode helped. I hope you'll tune in to the next one and the one after that. I hope that you'll take the time to subscribe to my podcast on whichever um, place you're listening. I'm on iTunes and Spotify and all the places that you can listen to podcasts. So please subscribe so that you're reminded when I have a new one drop and also take the time to leave a review and let me know how I'm doing and whether you're enjoying these episodes. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. For more information on hair color education, please visit my website, www.expertcolorsolutions.com. See you soon.